and welcome to episode 13 of Girl Mode. I am one of your hosts, Robin B. And I'm your other host, Willa Rowe. So this week, Willa, we have a couple of TV shows to talk about, actually, which is, I think, I thought this was a gaming podcast. Yeah, not anymore. We're pivoting to TV. Uh, Streaming services seem to be doing great. All shows sticking around for more than one season. No things getting (laughs) randomly canceled for no reason anyone can discern. Mm -hmm. Uh, But before we get to those, I guess, we have some some breaking news. Uh, One of the the most popular and most critically acclaimed games around is is shutting down. I can't believe it. I'm shocked, honestly. Uh, They announced Marvel's Avengers is shutting down, um, which I don't know if you like. I watched this news play out in real time because... What happened was, is there was like a leak that broke that um, Square and Crystal Dynamics were going to announce that they were shutting down the game. Uh, and oh, I this, didn't see the leak, yeah. Yeah, this news leaked. And then an hour later, the official announcement came <laughs> and they were like, here's an update on the future of Marvel's Avengers. Click this link. And everybody clicked it and it was like, bad gateway. This link does not work. <laughs> Which is just the perfect way for that game to end. It's um, truly so apt. Yeah. I have a question for you, Willa. Did you know that this game hadn't been shut down yet? Yes. Okay. Because I, you really could have fooled me. I, <laughs> I really, I had not heard anything about this game in ages. Uh, so this news came as a surprise only in the sense that I forgot this was a game. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think I personally know anyone who has ever played it. Uh, I've I have played it. Oh, okay. Because it was on Game Pass for a while, I think. Mm. I I think that was the case. It's it's some way I had I got it for free somehow. I don't know if it was on PS Plus or Game Pass or what it was. Yeah. Um, but I played like an hour of the uh the campaign, which everyone said was the best part of it was the campaign, uh, and I. I said to myself, if this is the best thing it has to offer, I, it has nothing to offer me. Just... Yeah, I, when it came out, I was like interested in it because it had Kamala Khan as like mm-hmm. one of the main characters who I love. Um, and then I read the reviews and I was like, cool, I'll just uh, save my money. Yeah, so that's, I don't know, just f- <laughs> felt worth addressing uh, because it is like, with the this the recent death of Stadia, I think it was the biggest uh, punching bag of online services mm-hmm. hanging around longer than anyone expected them to. It's now gone the way of Babylon's fall. R.I.P. Marvel's Avengers. R.I.P. Marvel's Avengers. We never got to see Squirrel Girl in game, which was the only thing that yeah. would have made it worthwhile. A moment of silence for Marvel's Avengers. <laughs> Uh, but if we leave a moment of silence, it's going to get truncated anyway. So, <laughs> so no point in that. Yeah, <laughs> just move uh, on with our lives. Anyways, like we all should, let's forget about it and move on. <laughs> uh, so those yeah. TV shows, uh, the the world is abuzz with talk of the hit TV show for, of 2023 already. Um, Premiering in January, uh, it is a adaptation of a critically acclaimed video game that some would argue uh, is a defining piece of art in the medium. Mm-hmm. And now it's on TV, streaming everywhere. Near Automata version <laughs> 1.1a. Okay, I didn't want to step on your very good joke, but do you want to talk about The Last of Us first? 
Yeah, I think we should probably. Because I want to leave the uh, the part of the episode where we um, are in a good mood for the, for the second half. So we can kind of leave on a good note. What do you mean? You don't like The Last of Us? The game that invented good storytelling? Yeah, I know. It, it's really shocking. Um, so if you've heard anything about The Last of Us, you have probably heard that it is like the greatest video game adaptation of all time. It is a, you know, genre defining work that, you know, climbs from the the lowly bounds of, of originating in video games, which everyone knows are only for losers and perverts, uh, and becomes <laughs> like an actual respectable piece of art, which is to say, a mildly entertaining streaming show. So the, the reaction to this show, I would say, has been baffling. Um, I mean, I, it's like, to be honest, to me, it's not surprising. It's not um, surprising in the sense that it is a, it is like a, a very anticipated prestige TV show. Mm-hmm. And people tend to get excited about those things. It is surprising in just how effusive all of the praise is for it. Like, I can get being hyped for something like this, but I just, I don't see it. Yeah, I I, think... I don't get why people are so excited about it. Yeah, so I think I want to, like, start with just some of the reviews that people have written about the Mm -hmm. show and, like, kind of to put context, uh, to give context about how it's been so well-received. Yeah. Hollywood Reporter, Washington Post, Variety, like everybody's been like praising this. There's a great part of the Hollywood Reporter review, which opens HBO's The Last of Us is by far the best video game adaptation ever made for the big or small screen. That's the blurb HBO wants for this post-apocalyptic tale of desperation, perseverance, and zombies. And that's the blurb HBO is sure to get because it's almost incontestably true. And then there are some other blurbs that are just like as praising the show, but they're just hilarious to me and how they talk about the source material. Um, The one I think about is Rolling Stones, which opens among the many compliments I can give HBO's The Last of Us is that it eventually made me forget that it's based on a video game. (laughs) Which, to be fair, is a great dunk. Yeah. There's a lot of reviews that have the sentiment of like, this is even better than the video game, which is a interesting way to conceive or to think about this show critically. Yeah, I think that's kind of the strangest part of the coverage for me is how much people are focusing on the the fact that it started as a video game. Like it's, it is not being talked about in comparison to other shows as much as it is being talked about in comparison to only video game adaptations and more specifically in comparison to the video game that it's being adapted from Mm -hmm. it's it's strange how much people are fixating on that you know and it, it kind of signals to me like if it's so good that it defies that kind of comparison then why is everyone making it over and over again yeah with the show coming out there's a sentiment that I think about a lot, which is Tim Rogers. Um, he has a video um, where he reviews the original Last of Us. And uh, he does this thing called the bottom line, which is like the one sentence like summary of his review. And the the bottom line for The Last of Us, the game, is 
The Last of Us is a great game, dot, 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 by default. And I made a meme about this and I tweeted it, but I took that and I replaced game with TV show because I think it's a sentiment that is also apt for the HBO adaptation. It is a great TV show by default. And it's just like, if we think about the lead up to how the show was made, it's so... It was so hyped already. You took one of the most critically acclaimed video games of the past decade. You then took one of the big names in streaming, HBO, who are like the ones people look at as like the serious ones. Um, So that gives it an air of like quality and prestige in its own right. Then you get Craig Mazin, who did Chernobyl, which was incredibly well reviewed, which like, to be fair, it's a great show. And he comes on as co-showrunner with Neil Druckmann, the original, you know, co-creator of the game. And you have this perfect storm of like prestige narrative built around it. And then you like cast a bunch of people like Pedro Pascal. And it's like, there was no way that this wasn't going to be well received Mm -hmm. just because of how they built it to be the like perfect version of a prestige television series. It was inevitable that this would be the reaction, kind of. It's not It's not really surprising. Yeah, there's a sort of like factory precision to how how many of the elements are, are tuned for, you know, the exact critical response that it has gotten. Mm-hmm. And this is obviously something people point out, is that The Last of Us, the game, the reason that as a TV show it works, you know, to the extent it does with, like, without really a lot of change, is that... And Neil Druckmann and Bruce Straley, who co-created the game together, have openly talked about this. They took a lot of inspiration from film and television. Like, they reference uh, a lot of Coen Brothers' work, like No Country for Old Men specifically, or the film adaptation of The Road, and Children of Men. Um, There's a lot of obvious things they're going at. Um, they were already basically making the prestige television version of a video game Mm -hmm. because they were trying to use the language of that medium to tell the story, which is why it's basically a one-to-one transfer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that was, that really factored into the reception of the game in the first place where it was like, it was following the structure of uh, you know, it was it was cinematic. It was following the structure of a movie or a TV show in a way that, like, for people who are sort of embarrassed over the fact that they like video games, I think that is very appealing because then people can say, okay, it's a video game, but it's not like other video games. It's it's more like a movie. Yeah, and I think for me, one of the one of the things that I'm like kind of critical of in the whole response to it is the voices of which are like giving so much praise to the show because you see it's like it's television writers and like reviewers who are like saying how great this show is and how it is so much better than the video game and it's because there's like it seems to be that for a lot of people there's an inability to understand that different mediums have different ways of telling stories Mm -hmm. and because the last of us is inherently cinematic they think it's better because they are used to conceiving of art in the confines of TV and film. Right. Which to me is feels as silly as saying, as like docking a TV show or a movie for not being interactive, you know, like it's, it's 
just simply the nature of the medium. It's it, that's not a qualitative, you know, statement at all. It's just like there's different ways of telling stories in, in different mediums, and you know, The Last of Us kind of ignores a lot of what makes video game storytelling interesting in order to, I don't know, maybe I guess appeal to a, a larger sort of more general audience. Yeah, it's so there was a famous quote that went around where Craig Mazin, the co-showrunner, said, it's an open and shut case. This is the greatest story that has ever been told in video games. Is this the same interview where he implied that it was the first video game ever to not feature someone shooting lasers out of their eyes? Uh, yes, <laughs> they didn't shoot anything out of their eyeballs. <laughs> yes, the best thing that's ever been said about this or any other TV show. Yeah, and like for me, the whole thing is like, obviously, Craig Mazin liked The Last of Us because Craig Mazin is a TV show person. He mm -hmm. works within the confines of that artistic medium. That is what he is trained to think. So when he sees a different art form emulate it, he's like, oh, well, they're actually trying to do serious art because they're doing what my art does. Yeah, it, it's like the exact person I was describing and saying someone who like likes the video game, but is embarrassed to like a video game where you have yeah. to put these qualifications on it, where it's like, it's a different kind of story. It's it's not like these other trashy video games. It's mm -hmm. it's the one good one. So I think like, you know, now that we've kind of like laid the context for it and everything, um, we've both watched it. Mm -hmm. What did you think of it? I thought it was fine. <laughs> I think it's fine, Willa. It's... Like, I, I say that not to even, like, dunk on it or to, you know, set up kind of a a, a contrast with the way it's being re received. I just, I watched it and I was like, okay, that was a, that was a TV show. I, I, I really don't understand exactly why people are, if, if you take it out of the context of this is a video game that's been elevated to uh, you know, a, a TV station, which is in it, we all a TV show, which we all know are morally superior to video games by default. If you take it away from that sort of context, I don't really see what the big deal is. Mm -hmm. um, like it's, you know, I, I thought it was fine. I, I didn't. I don't know. I mean, before we get too too much deeper, like what's 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 your kind of first impression of it? I mean, I am I'm famously like a pessimist. <laughs> And a hater. I say. just like, yeah, um, I did not like it um, yeah. for several reasons that we can get into. But actually, there's something else I wanted to ask before we got like deeper into the conversation, mm -hmm. which is, did you play the the game? Yeah, so I, I played the game. I, I actually, after I watched this episode, I went and played the, like, basically the sequence that, that covers what the show covered mm -hmm. um and when i was doing that i noticed i saw i had an old save file so i last played this game in 2015 i know that <laughs> much as you know i have a swiss cheese brain that doesn't hold memories so i basically don't remember much of my playthrough of it but i i played that little section of it like just to kind of just to see where that comparison was coming from if this show is so much better than the game then this opening sequence must be handled much better in the TV show than it is in the game. And after like experiencing them both back to back, I do not think that's correct. I agree. I, like, I straight so, up, I think the game handles this stuff better. Yeah. So, 
uh, before we get into that, like I also played the game. I, I very much like the game. Um, I do think, you know, a lot of the praise that the game gets is worth it. It's, it is, is apt. It's a great game. I'm not trying to say it isn't. Um, but I, I fully agree with you. And so let's talk about this opening, which is, I think we'll probably spoil the first episode. Yeah. Which is like, fine. Everybody's <laughs> watching it. So who cares? Yeah. All, um, all 20 of you who are listening, pause this and watch the, <laughs> the episode first if you don't want to get spoiled for yeah. a story that you already know what's going to happen. In. Yeah. Uh, but like, so basically the opening is similar to the game. You see Sarah, who is Joel's daughter, up until the like evening of the outbreak and then up until when she dies and Joel is enabled to save her. And they they uh, make this a lot longer. I could I could hear you deciding how mean to to yeah. make that statement. It's they, they really drag it out. Yeah, because like in the game, basically you wake up as Sarah in the evening, and it's just immediately like, okay, the outbreak is happening. And it's like 15 minutes between you starting the game and her dying, where you get all you need to know about like, the outbreak is happening. Here's Joel and Tommy, and they're trying to get out and protect her. And then Sarah dies. And then cut. Mm-hmm. It's quick. It's It does what it needs to do. I think it's really effective. And yes. it does do an emotional gut punch still. And crucially for like most of that time you were playing as Sarah. Yeah. Like you wake up in the house, you kind of wander around. There's the kind of like theme parky stuff that was very, you know, popular in games like this at the time, where like you walk by the window and you see an explosion and you pass by the TV and it's giving a news report where you just sort of are walking from place to place and these little scenes play out, which, you know, feels a little corny just in that it is a bit of a relic of of an earlier time but i still think it's very effective particularly just because you're seeing from this person's point of view who doesn't know what's going on like you have no idea what's happening mm-hmm. um and then even as uh joel gets back to the house and you like he and tommy his brother and sarah get into the truck and try to speed away you stay with sarah like you remain controlling sarah and all you're doing like you're sitting in the back seat of the truck and you can kind of just decide which direction to look to see things happening and i think that's really crucial uh because it like from the very start you are you're in a position where all this stuff is happening and it's completely like beyond your control and you only take control of joel uh, joel once the there's sort of like a car accident and and Sarah is sort of like injured, so he has to carry her. And then you you pick up with Joel uh, in a scene where you're kind of walking through the city and people are starting to turn and attack you, which again, I think is is done more effectively than it was in the show. Yeah. And because like in the show, they basically they start at the morning of the day. And you like see Sarah go through her whole day of like she goes to school and she goes to a shop to like fix Joel's watch. And and they also just start like laying the groundwork ahead of time. Like, oh, there's a a disease um, somewhere else and people are getting sick and blah, blah, blah. And you visit, you know, she visits the neighbors um, just the whole time. It's just it's so dragged out. And yeah. also the whole time, though, it's just telegraphing, like, what is going to happen. It's I found it very clumsy. Like, yeah. The way they just kept hinting at it mm-hmm. and 
Sarah being like, oh, are you, is someone sick? What's going on? What's the problem? Um, the thing that I kind of can't shake though is I, I'm curious how this would land to someone who doesn't know the game. Because for us, like we've played the game and so we know that the only reason that Sarah exists in this story is to be fridged. Like mm-hmm. we know she is going to die because that is the way that you, you know, make a sympathetic male character is by killing a woman who's close to him. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, an immutable law of the universe. It's the only, it's the only time men have feelings and it's the <laughs> only purpose women serve in stories. So we know that that's coming. Mm-hmm. So it, it makes it really hard to watch this with anything other than a bit of cynicism where it's, you know, they're, they're building up Sarah's character just to make it feel more more brutal when she dies. And so from that perspective, like all of this setup and her getting the watch fixed for Joel's birthday and like visiting the neighbors, et cetera, it's just like we know where this is going and so it feels particularly pointless. Uh, I, I wonder if, if we would receive this a little better <laughs> if we didn't know what was coming. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I want to be like as objective as I can in this thought but just like looking at the two openings at least this is my preference for like a story being told is and this is a criticism that I have of the whole premiere is I do not think a premiere needs to have this much exposition mm-hmm. and this much hand holding for the audience I do think the prologue of the game works a lot more because it hooks you enough to be like shit is going down what's happening let's get through this let's see if how these characters get out and then once you cut to 20 years later then it starts building out stuff more Mm -hmm. after you're already hooked and you now very quickly very efficiently have a connection to joel um whereas the show it just it just pads the runtime a lot and i and i would argue that I feel like nobody going into this show is going to be shocked by Sarah's death, even if you haven't played the game, because like we've said, this is a very anticipated thing. I I feel most people have seen the trailers or know the concept. Like, Mm -hmm. I think everybody's smart enough to be like, this girl is not long for the world. (laughs) Yeah. The thing you just said about like, you know, jumping in the game, getting you into Joel's shoes so much quicker, like lets you, you know, see his perspective more. It reminds me of something that uh, Kurt Vonnegut said one time, which is just like a general theory of like how to write well. Uh, and one of the things that he said was start as close to the end as possible. Mm-hmm. And that's something I think about a lot with this, where it's like none of this stuff that's building up Sarah really does anything for this story. And I'm also not a person who thinks that like everything in a story needs to serve like moving the plot along. Cause I think that tends to produce very boring stories as well, but it doesn't really, it also doesn't really tell us much about her or about Joel and, or the world. Like it's, it's kind of just there to like, to take up time is kind of the mean way to say it, but to, I guess the idea is to get you more invested in her before she inevitably dies in the first 30 minutes, which Mm -hmm. also doesn't feel great, you know? Yeah. And, oh, so one thing that I also think is interesting is that the show actually doesn't start the same way as the game because there's a short cold open before you see Sarah's section. I forgot about this, even though I messaged you about how much it annoyed me. (laughs) Yeah. Which is this like short 60s talk show bit where they're basically talking to a scientist who's like, you know, a disease scientist. And he's like, oh, you know, the thing we really have to watch out for is fungal infections. (laughs) There's this thing called cordyceps. And if that took over, 
That would be wild. It's, I couldn't believe that that was how they chose to open the show. I, I, I absolutely fucking hate it. It is, it's so clunky. It's just like, it really, it really feels like, well, people aren't going to understand what's happening. So we just need to literally have someone look at the camera and tell them what's happening at the I, beginning of the show. I was very salty about this all. So I, I wrote an <laughs> article about it and I called it The Last of Us Episode 1 Doesn't like Respect Its Audience Enough. I, I mean, I, yeah, I think which, that's completely fair. Which I stand by. And I think like we can use Sarah's death as an example um, because they keep coming back to the imagery of Sarah's death uh, yes. in a way where they're just beating it over your head. And I'm yeah. like, you, you, you know, this is the, the prologue. I get that her death is important. You don't need to come back to this two more times in the span of 50 minutes in the first yeah. episode. I understand Joel is impacted. Yeah. Like to get specific, what happens at the end of this kind of intro sequence is uh, Joel is running, carrying Sarah because she's like broken her ankle and they're stopped by a, some guy in military some gear goon. holding like, uh, yeah, some goon uh, with like a rifle and he, you know, orders, orders them to stop and Joel is, you know, kind of assuming he's going to help them. So he starts kind of going toward him and the guy, you know, orders him to stop. Eventually he gets like a call on his radio. But, but sir, there's a, there's a child with him. Uh, and he like opens fire to kill Joel and Sarah, like to kill these two people who he, I guess they're assuming are infected. But at the last moment, like Tommy shows up and kills the the goon but in the meantime like the one of the bullets has hit sarah and she is dying she ends up like dying in joel's arms in what is like um i i, I will say the actress who plays sarah i thought was great mm -hmm. uh like the opening sequence i was like i was really pretty captivated by her performance even knowing that she was a plot device that was about to be discarded and this death scene is is brutal i'll i will say like playing the game immediately afterward the game holds on this shot for so fucking long. I like I think it's more I think it's more devastating in the game a little bit because Sarah is like gasping in like a mm -hmm. really really upsetting way. Those, and there is the like the sound of her is like ingrained into my it's, brain. It's, it's so really uncomfortable. Rough. And it like it holds the shot of like Joel like cradling like a dead child for like 15 seconds like i it, i eventually like i muted it and just looked away from the screen because mm -hmm. i was like i can't take this but anyway that's what happens in both the show and, and yeah. the game um and then sort of i think the big point where this comes back is right toward the end of the episode uh joel uh, another person who you meet called tess uh, and and ellie are all escaping from the city and they're stopped by a military police officer who is like holding them up and you know fucking with them or whatever and in the in the game ellie kind of creates a distraction and joel you know they, they take out this this officer and then they keep going mm -hmm. the same thing happens in the show but there's a point where the military officer is like pointing a gun at joel and it's extremely clear that the only thing that this person could be thinking is is thinking about the time when this happened to him before and he lost his daughter there's no other, like, you could not possibly miss this, that that's what's happening. But in the show, they decide to show you a flashback to that exact scene <laughs> before he, like, tackles this guy and, like, punches him to death, you know? 
And it's just like, it's, it's like you said, like, it's just not respecting the audience. It's like, you, you cannot have possibly missed the importance of this, but they I'm, decide to show it to you anyway. I'm such a bad person because I was like watching that and I'm just like laughing. I was like, you're shitting me, right? Yeah. Come on. It's, and I feel like, you know, it's, this is an, an example that like stands for a lot of the rest of the premiere where instead of just letting the story progress naturally, they have to like pack in so much information and like hints and Easter eggs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they have to explain every part of the world more than they did in the game because that's the thing I guess the last of us was missing was a, a, a world building. Cause like they mention characters like Riley and Bill and Frank who we will meet later or learn about later. And they also give much deeper explanation to the fireflies. And you even meet Ellie earlier than you do in the game. Um, mm-hmm. You meet Ellie when Joel meets, when Joel meets her, but in the show, that's not true. You see Ellie a little bit before, which I think also undercuts that moment. Like, I agree. There's incredibly, there's a, there's been praise of this kind of storytelling change from a lot of critics where they've said building out the world and like giving depth to more characters and being able to see their stories more is a benefit of the show, which I actually vehemently disagree with. Hard Um, disagree. (laughs) Because it's this idea and they keep saying it like in a video game, you only play as Joel or Sarah for a little bit, or Ellie for a little bit. So you're stuck with their perspective in a TV show. We're not bound by that bullshit. And I'm like, here's the thing. A lot of stories, regardless of medium, have a smaller scale where they focus in on the perspective of only one or a few characters. That is not a a flaw. That is Mm -hmm. a choice for storytelling to keep it concise and to keep it like well done. When you have the perspective of Joel, you are invested in that story. Him meeting Ellie is much better than you meeting this girl just randomly first. Yeah. It's uh, – and I know like I, I have a complaint of a lot of the criticism or a lot of the criticism that's been written at the TV show where they've been praising it as like, look, they do everything better than the game. And I, I know that my <laughs> – my response often sounds like the TV show does everything worse than the game, <laughs> which is a bit reductive, but like, yeah. I do think, yeah, these I don't choices, think that's true. I do think these choices need to be like interrogated, just like a modicum mm-hmm. more. Yeah. I, I, I'm totally with you that like the idea that building out the world is inherently a good thing. I, I, I just simply don't agree with that. Like a part of what gives the game its weight is how much you are, you're you're focused on Joel and Ellie, like their isolation, the fact that they are they are alone in this world where uh, information is scarce, right? Like society has collapsed, and part of what makes that dangerous is that you can't know what's going on if you're not literally looking right at it, you know. And this game does a lot to like build out, yeah, like you said, build the fireflies, which I don't think is very helpful. There's some interesting scenes with them, like showing them in like conflict with the military police or whatever that are. F- fine for what they are but i don't think it adds to anything and i would say even like how it tries to build out the idea of fedra as like a military dictatorship and they show 
Like when you catch back up with Joel 20 years later, he's working at his job, which is throwing dead kids into a bonfire. Because apparently <laughs> there's like enough dead bodies that you can do that every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was really kind of silly the way they established this like this weirdly functional society with Fedra just like as the government. Like it in the game, they're kind of just this present. They're basically just the cops and everyone sort of tries to live their lives and avoid them, you know? But in this, it's just like Fedra is just the government and they're in charge of everything. Um, I also felt like a lot of that that kind of world building stuff where they were kind of establishing what it's like living in the city. It felt very claustrophobic to me. Mm-hmm. Like you, you're kind of you're seeing what's what's going on on this block, but I didn't really have any sense of the larger world outside of like these details they were telling me that didn't make any sense. Whereas like playing through the game, there's a lot of portions where you're kind of like walking across rooftops and stuff. And you just get these like huge vistas of this like destroyed cityscape. And it, it, it doesn't need to sit there and tell you like, this is what the world is like. It just lets you kind of wander through it and see uh, the devastation around you. And you can kind of, you can fill in the blanks yourself. Like when you see uh, a very silly image of like a, one skyscraper leaning on another in a way that makes no sense. Mm-hmm. That tells you what you need to know, you know? There's another thing that I think is interesting is like, I think a lot of the you know reviews have focused in too much on comparing this just to the game mm-hmm. instead of also comparing it to just other TV and prestige series and stuff, which... There are two things that I, I really was thinking about when watching the premiere, um, which is one, The Walking Dead, mm-hmm. um, which I don't know if you ever watched The Walking Dead or or read the comic. I watched and read the first, like the first, mm-hmm. you know, maybe season and first couple of volumes. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a prestige tone to The Last of Us that a lot of people see and then they say it's better than The Walking Dead, which... The Walking Dead has deteriorated over so many seasons, but um, I will say in the premiere, one of the things I like because zombie uh, media is already just so prevalent that we kind of get the gist of it is The Walking Dead does this great thing where um, you don't see the outbreak Mm -hmm. because Rick, he like gets knocked out and he goes into a coma and then he wakes up and it's all the, the apocalypse has already happened. Yeah, it's the 28 days later approach. Yeah, it's great. So I think it's like, it's interesting comparing those two. Uh, the Last of Us is obviously going for more prestige. But the show that I was really thinking about was Station Eleven. Oh, yeah, I have not watched that. I, I mean, I think it's incredible. It's really good. I've been, um, I've been watching it since the show, since The Last of Us show was coming up because I was like, they're both prestige limited series on HBO Max that deal with a world in a post-apocalypse from like a flu or a, a disease. The key difference is that Station Eleven is not a zombie thing. There is no like monster. It's just about how does humanity move on when the society we know crumbles and how do we build community again? And I was thinking about the premiere of Station Eleven, which does this really good job of intermittently cutting back and forth between um, the evening that the like the disease gets to the tipping point, and mm-hmm. like again twenty years later. Um, and there's something about how the show manages to tell its story 
more, you know, confidently and focused that I really appreciate. Uh, I I also think Station Eleven is a different kind of post-apocalypse that is much more hopeful and much Mm -hmm. more actually interesting in how it investigates humanity. Because, like, when it comes down to it, The Last of Us is honestly like, how do we deal with all of us losing our humanity in the post-apocalypse? Like, everybody is a bad guy, Mm -hmm. basically. Everybody has to do shitty stuff. And then Station Eleven is like, no, some people form communities and they just run around doing, like, community theater across, you know, the U.S. Yeah, The Last of Us, it really leans on one of my least favorite tropes in any kind of dystopian fiction, which is just the kind of, like, only the strong survive. Like, Mm -hmm. everyone has to be an absolute piece of shit to, like, keep going. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think they really do that a lot with something they keep doing with Joel is they don't want to make him too much of a bad guy. So the thing he's trying to do, oh, he just wants to get this, uh, he wants to get a truck so he can go out to Wyoming and see, make sure his brother is doing okay. Uh, so you know that he's a good guy, but he's just like a complete asshole. And <laughs> there's a lot of lines in the the premiere of people like hinting at this this reputation he has of being like a brutal person. And there's even one point where I think Tess says something like, uh, or maybe it was Marlene, one of, you know, some of the characters talking to Joel and is like, uh, I know what you're capable of. And Ellie in the background just goes, what is he capable of? <laughs> in one of those other like crushingly <laughs> obvious moments. Yeah. And it's it, it's something that I always dislike in any kind of dystopia mm-hmm. where it, it's just that idea that like, like even if you're living through the end of the world, I do really believe that some people would just continue to like act like normal people and try to take care of each other because that is what human beings are like it's very frustrating to me the issue is we know that's what would happen because it happened yes like we have not all like started robbing each other for cans of beans yet right like Mm -hmm. if it was going to happen we're kind of at that point And, and so like yeah just this this idea that that because the society that we all as the audience live in has collapsed then that means the only way to live is to behave like a complete monster is just it's very silly it's very conservative like it it just it just never rings true to me um and in this this the show i think they they really play that stuff up and it really takes me out of like any sense of reality that that they could possibly be building for the setting i think one of the problems is that um you know what made the last of us the game interesting for the medium was that there hadn't like it wasn't the first video game obviously to tell a deep interesting story but Mm -hmm. it was kind of the first video game to try to deeply emulate like prestige television or like you know like oscar bait movie it was kind of the first big triple a game to do it like that so it was new and it was interesting but in 2013 it was referencing tv and film that had already happened so when it's a tv show Mm -hmm. that's still rooted in tropes that have already been like old hat in 2013 and now it's 2023 the show itself is not very interesting or original or bringing something to the table yeah i will say i was it does really drag i was getting more interested like toward the end like literally within the last like 10 minutes of the show as they're leaving the city, I was like, okay, it's finally getting started. 
let's see what happens next. And what happens next is the show ends. Uh, so that's not really a great, <laughs> that's not really an endorsement, but it, it, it did leave me being like, okay, maybe it just has a really slow start and it's going to get more interesting from here. I'm not really hopeful that that's going to happen, but I, it was at least starting to grab me a bit more once it kind of toned down on the like very hitting you over the head world building kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I also, I'd also want to mention, because you mentioned earlier the part that made you laugh out loud, the part that made me laugh out loud was when Joel is like formulating his plan to go save Tommy. He like, there's like a secret compartment in his apartment that's like under a floorboard, which he keeps a map in. For some reason, this map needs to be hidden like that. But there's a solid like 30 seconds of the show that just cuts back between shots of Joel like running his finger over a map to like trace the route that he's going to take so that the audience can see like it serves no purpose for him but it's just letting you see it and that's interspersed with shots of him drinking like six glasses of whiskey and he's just downing pills pills, yeah yeah and it's there's just so many shots of it happening that i was just like laughing out loud at how ridiculous like how much work they were putting in to show like he's a broken man and he's on this quest it's just like yeah we get it you know like He's he's willing to kill people for this. He's like, seen he, some it, shit. It was just very. I I really couldn't stop laughing at that mm-hmm. part. Ah, uh, so yeah, The Last of Us streaming on HBO. Yeah. Go, go watch it, or <laughs> or don't. Yeah, it's yeah. If if it sounds fun to you, then I you know maybe it will be. It's it's just don't go in expecting the uh the, quite the cultural event that that folks want to believe that it is Mm -hmm. but i will say the other show that's happening as i've mentioned is near automata version 1.1a which is the anime adaptation of near automata let's let's start off better this time uh did like just like up front did you play the game yeah so i have played i've played near automata i have not finished near automata so around when it first came out or at least when it first came to pc I played a bit of it. Um, so for anyone who's not familiar, the way that Nier Automata is structured is that you play through the game as 2B, who's with this android who's your main character, and once you like finish the game and roll credits, it's not actually the end of the game. Uh, at that point, a sort of a new chapter starts where you take control of another character, uh, and that same kind of thing happens several more times where you basically reach the end of the story, and then it starts over telling kind of the same story again from a different perspective. And so I played basically like to, I got two of those endings, Mm -hmm. but never really finished the game. Um, And then like The Last of Us, after I watched these two episodes, I went and played the first couple hours of Nier Automata just to kind of get the idea of like what it was like again. Mm -hmm. Um, How, what's your, your experience with the game? Uh, Yeah. So I played it like to completion. Um, Mm -hmm. I like love Nier Automata. I think it's, it's one of my favorite games of all time. I think it's, yeah one of the best games ever made uh, so i am even little... having not finished it i it, it's it's so high up there i really really love it yeah i'm a little biased towards it i think it's <laughs> i think it's fantastic uh so i was very excited um for the anime and like due to the nature of how they tell the story in the game like near automata is very much a of a, a story that you would think might not be able to be transferred to any mm-hmm. other medium like where The Last of Us is just basically a movie slash prestige TV show already, 
Nier Automata is like a video game video game where it's yes. so entrenched in the conventions of the medium and the interactivity that it seems like it wouldn't work. Um, so I was inter- interested to see how the anime would play out. And now the first, uh, well, the first three episodes are out. I've watched all three. I know you've watched the first two. Mm-hmm. And it's like interesting to see how it's ad- adapted it. So like just off the bat, so far, I am a big fan of what they've been doing over the episodes that are out. I think uh, they're threading a really difficult needle. And I think they're doing it fairly well um, for reasons that I want to get into later. But based on the first two episodes, what's like your, you know, just gut reaction so far? Uh, I am so high on this show. It's (laughs) I really like I think it's I think they're I'm really fascinated with what they're doing and how they're approaching it. Uh, And I like just like honestly can't wait to to watch the rest of it. I mean, like you said, it's the the fact that there are these different routes that like you play one after the other, but they some of the events in them kind of happen simultaneously. And the fact that you are switching viewpoint characters is very important. Uh, it, it's an interesting counterpoint to The Last of Us in that way, as you were saying, like The Last of Us is adopting the conventions of of you know movies and TV shows to tell a story in the video game medium. Whereas Nier Automata uses the medium to enhance the story, right? It, it's like you were saying, like, it works because of its interactivity, because of the way it plays with your expectations. Uh, and so adapting that to a show does seem very strange, but I really like what they're doing. Like, so far, it's drawing a really interesting balance between some of the show, like the first, ep- like most of the first episode is near to shot for shot the opening to the game yeah essentially but then in other parts it's very different like even in the first episode they start cutting in some events from 9s's perspective Mm -hmm. which like in the game that's like your second playthrough yeah and they're kind of cutting them in where they would have happened you know in the story's progression and then the second episode goes so far it's just a complete departure it's it's just its own story, but it is also referring to things that you see happen in the game, mm-hmm. you know? Like, oh gosh, I don't even know how to like, get into it, but, but like in, in the game, there's like certain points, even in the first route, where you start encountering these, you know, machine life forms, the robots that you're fighting, who have become docile and are like starting their own society. Uh, but you still see all those events like from 2B's perspective, like you're kind of an interloper in this thing. Whereas the second episode starts and mostly sticks with one of these robots who kind of, you know, goes against what people are expecting from them and is like, instead of attacking the humans, is like starting to plant a garden and like starting to feel emotions. Uh, And the way that they like introduce that is by just like focusing in, in a basically wordless story as you just watch this robot go through this evolution. Uh, And that's something that doesn't happen in the game, but it's, it's pointing to things that that you do see in the game. I think it's, I, I think it's, like expertly done. I, I like that. Um, so the the machine life form that this focuses on, it does have a name. It's PLO8, which is like, it's supposed to play on Play-Doh, which I think is hilarious. Uh-huh. Um, and people have pointed out that there is, there's something similar to the story in the game uh, that's very optional where you can, through a series of like side quests, you can basically read a diary entry from a machine life form who recounts their like evolution into gaining kind of like autonomy and emotion which this like scene in episode two has 
a lot of the same themes and similarities, but it it is still completely different in like how it's actually told with like the gardening and the flowers and stuff. And I think it's done really well. I, I think so to like counter it to The Last of Us, one of my criticisms of The Last of Us is the world building and building out a lot of side characters in a way that didn't feel necessary. Mm-hmm. So it sounds weird for me to praise Nier Automata for doing this in its adaptation. One of the things that I think it has going for it, though, to contrast Last of Us is, first off, the first episode is basically shot for shot the game, which means that it sticks to like a very quick, concise uh, hook to get people in before expanding on other things that aren't as necessary. Also, just like the first three episodes are out, you can watch the entirety of the near anime right now, and you will be done before someone watches the premiere of The Last of Us. <laughs> I was thinking about that when I like <laughs> saw the episodes were 20 minutes long. I was like, oh, they got a lot more done in those 20 minutes than The Last of Us did in two hours. It's very interesting because like, I, I'm going to look this up so that I have an exact reference. Okay, mm-hmm. I have how long to beat open. <laughs> <laughs> so near automata takes 21 hours to beat and if you do everything which is like actually seeing the whole story that's 37 and a half hours the anime is going to run about 24 episodes with about 20 to 25 minutes each that is a fraction of the time mm-hmm. the last of us for comparison The Last of Us takes 15 hours to beat. The first episode is 80 minutes, and there are going to be nine episodes. The Last of Us is nearly one-to-one, while Nier is, like, drastically cutting down. Um, And yet I don't feel like Nier has, like, missed anything. And in fact, they're expanding in such a fascinating way, uh, where I just think it's it's a credit to, like, the ability to tell a story so succinctly, but so well. It, yeah, it's interesting, like, both Last of Us and Nier Automata are their action games, right? So a lot of the time that you're spending in the game is, like, in The Last of Us, it's ducking behind chest-high walls and, like, throwing bricks at dudes' heads. And in Nier Automata, it's, like, slicing up robots with a sword, right? So there's, like, a lot of time there that you can you kind of strip from like the amount of time it takes to play the game. Uh, and so the actual, like, if you're just telling a linear story, that's much quicker. And it's very interesting to see that like where The Last of Us just takes that kind of same amount of time, uh, they they strip out, you know, in the first hour of The Last of Us game, you murder like 16 people. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so in The Last of Us show, they remove that and just kind of like pad it out. So it ends up taking the same amount of time. In Nier Automata, they strip all that stuff out and replace it with much more interesting stories uh, than I than I think what The Last of Us is telling. And like you, I had a very similar thought to you of why do I like the kind of world building and the like turning the camera away from the main characters in Nier Automata and I don't like it in The Last of Us. And I think part of it is because in The Last of Us, a lot of that comes in the form of exposition and a lot of it comes in the form of just like name dropping people who are going to become important later. 
Whereas in Nier Automata, some of the stuff they're doing to expand the world is literally just like showing you shots of other people, like listening to the same radio broadcast that our main characters are are, are listening to, mm-hmm. just so you can see the circumstances under which other people are living in a very like subtle way that doesn't feel like it's banging you over the head. And the other thing they do is like the second episode is just tell completely new stories that like give a lot of, they give context to the story you're being told, not in the sense of like giving you like background details, but in the sense that they are showing you again, like how people live and what it is like to exist in this world and what the meaning of, of, you know, these machine life forms is. So it's like, they're taking similar strategies, but where the last of us is just like trying to feed you information near automata is giving you more like the, the character of, of its setting, you know? Yeah, and I, I think that's think, just a much more interesting thing to do. Yeah, it's it's really interesting to me because Nier Automata like plays with style mm-hmm. in a way that a, a lot of video games don't. Um, where the majority majority of it is an action game where you're like hack and slashing, but it it does a lot of different stuff. It goes to like bullet hell. It goes to like mm-hmm. platforming. It it switches up its style a lot. Where it is interesting to see that translated to you know, a 2D anime where they can't do that. And there's an expectation on this show that there is going to be new things happening because Yoko Taro is so famous for like creating interesting narratives with like multiple endings and continuing to iterate it even in like remakes and remasters. Like for example, Near Replicant, which was the, you know, remake of the original Near game, it it included an entire new ending that had never been, you know, there before. Mm-hmm. And Yoko Taro, when he was working on the anime, um, people have been like asking him, like, "Oh, is there going to be differences? Or is there going to be different stuff in the story?" And he like made a joke that the 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 largest part of the job for everybody else on the anime was to hold him back from changing the story, uh-huh. which I just think is hilarious. Um, yeah. But the first episode, like you said. It has some changes to the story, but the majority of it is just making it all chronological between different routes. So you see like 2B and 9S's perspective um, as they happen, but it's basically shot for shot the first mission of the game. But then episode two and episode three, they start switching shit up, uh, like first off with the Playo 8 um, story and then also the introduction of Lily, who's a really interesting character. Like, I'm deep in the near like lore. Uh, so <laughs> when they announced Lily was going to be in the show, I was like really excited because she's actually not original to the anime. I only know this because of your uh, encyclopedic n- knowledge of uh, near ephemera. Yeah, it's so she's not new to near but she's actually not in the video game she is in the prequel yora play which there is a prequel play for this game and she is in it and i'm not gonna like say too much but she has a a connection to a really important player uh like in the world of near automata so putting her into the story in direct contact with to be a 9s from like the the get-go is fascinating and like does show that this is probably going to go into weird directions. It's very fascinating. It's one of the things that like I like about this that I also think honestly is it's kind of 
making this feel more video gamey than most other adaptations do because there's an there's a an element of like trying to find the new thing that like you know the last of us obviously wouldn't add an entirely new ending um and i wouldn't expect it to they're two different kinds of stories but with near it's it's keeping this kind of like fan excitement that the franchise has already like had around it yeah totally and i I think all of those things are like they're interesting on their own like to make an adaptation and add new characters and add new storylines and show things from different perspectives all of those things are like interesting just on their face but i think even more than that with this with near automata like you were saying like it is a game that switches everything like from from camera placement to this weird way that the endings are structured, to the fact that like your settings screen is diegetic in a way, where it's 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 also part of, you know, where you adjust your screen brightness is also meant to convey something about like to be and, and how mm-hmm. her internal, you know, robotics function, right? It plays with the form in so many ways. And so when it when the anime pulls these tricks of like adding new stories and and things like that, it's it's not just an interesting thing to add on. It feels like it's really paying tribute to the spirit of the game uh, in a way that, I don't know, I, th- I thought was really great. Like, it's even with uh, like the end of every episode, they have a little, like, puppet show <laughs> where they explain the endings of the game. And just that switch of medium, I think, is also very much just showing uh, a kind of respect for the source material, whereas the changes that were made to The Last of Us seem to be a sort of disdain for the idea that this story came from a video game. Mm-hmm. Whereas like in Nier, it's like it's it's celebrating the ways that a video game is different from a, uh, you know, just an episodic story. Uh, and I think that's just so much fascinating. Like it really comes across how much like it's done with love for the story uh, as opposed to like trying to make it into something it isn't. It's, it's very interesting because I think like what you're saying is like true. Essentially, The Last of Us wants to work as hard as it can, like the Rolling Stone review said, to make you forget it's a video game. Mm-hmm. While the near anime honestly like works and relishes in reminding you that it was a video game and trying to like bring the viewer into that mentality of like, hey, this was based on a video game. In the video game, we have multiple endings you're not going to be able to get that full experience from the show, but we're going to try to give you a little bit of that. Um, Mm -hmm. It's like happy about it's where it came from, Um, which like, I think it's honestly a little bit comes down to who is behind it. Like Yoko Taro is fully um, a, a game developer and creator who is like happy to be making video games for what the medium can do for storytelling and Neil Druckmann has just consistently proved in the like press in the press junket leading up to The Last of Us that man, this guy, I don't know, Neil Druckmann must hate video games, I guess. <laughs> it is very strange for someone who heads a game studio. Obviously, neither of us know this dude. This is just a read of like the way that he's doing press for the show, which to some extent, maybe that's just kind of like playing up for the cameras, you know, like you have to get non-video game players to watch the show. Mm -hmm. So in some ways it might be just in your best interest to be like, oh, it's not a video game. It's like a real thing for grownups and you don't have to feel bad about liking it. But being so willing to kind of make statements to that effect does really feel 
it feels strange, you know, from someone like who has made his like video games have made his career, you know. I mean, he's like he's also happy to still take credit for it though, and like mm-hmm. be the there's an image of him as like this auteur, which like the show has gotten into some like trouble for this because um there's no credit in the show to Bruce Straley, who was mm-hmm. the co-lead on the original game. Um, who like helped come up with the pitch for the game when he was working with Druckmann at Naughty Dog. He was the game director on the project when you know Druckmann was the creative director and uh, he, he did eventually leave Naughty Dog. Um, he has his own studio now and stuff, but uh, he was not credited credited in the show at all, which he like came out in a La- in a Los Angeles Times interview and he was like, this is, you know, I, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but he was like, this is kind of fucked up that somebody who like co-created this property gets zero credit. Yeah. And it is kind of fucked up. It's very fucked up. There's a perception that like, it doesn't look like Neil Druckmann is working to, to like, dissuade people from believing this narrative that no. he's the mind behind The Last of Us. Yeah, not at all. And and also like, shout out to, to Straley for like his response to this wasn't like, hey, fuck you, you should put me in the credits. It's this is an industry-wide problem and we should all unionize to make sure it can't happen. Like, I love that as a response where it's not just about like him getting stiffed. It's like, this is something that's affecting everybody and and putting it in that broader context is, I, I think he deserves credit for uh, for kind of widening the conversation. Yeah, I agree. Way. I think like, I mean, he said when he left Naughty Dog, he was like, I'm leaving pretty, pretty amicably, I can't say that word. We're just going to move on. Um, but he's, he like left Naughty Dog and he was like, I'm leaving because I'm like, I'm facing burnout. I don't know if I can do this at the like pace I am doing it. And, you know, the studio, the the industry just kind of does that. So to see him like still fighting mm-hmm. for like just across the board to make it better, not just like gripe about his own thing is is really yeah. great. I do love to see that. Yeah, and I think it really does illustrate how big of a problem it is that like you can be the co-lead on a game that is as big and as renowned as The Last of Us and still p- fall prey to the same forces that keep, you know, QA people off of the credits and mean that if you leave a project, you know, 3 months before it ships, your name not might not show up on it anywhere. Mm-hmm. Like it's there there's kind of no amount of success in the industry that can keep you from that unless you position yourself like Neil Druckmann or like, you know, Kojima or like any of these other big names as kind of an auteur, mm-hmm. which is a thing that like doesn't exist and especially doesn't exist in video games. Uh, but people are extremely happy to take credit for a lot of other people's work uh, in a way that's, you know, one of the biggest negatives of of working in the industry, it seems to be. Mm-hmm. There's like one more thing I want to say about the near anime. Um, I don't know if you've actually seen this because this happened today like a little bit Hmm. before we were recording, the production is being halted on the rest of the anime indefinitely. Oh no, what? (laughs) Yeah, um, there was a a release that came out from the production team and they're like, due to COVID related like issues, the release of episode four and all subsequent episodes is being postponed indefinitely until like, until further notice. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, Why? (laughs) I'm sorry to I break your so heart. I was so excited to finish this fucking... This was going to be the one show that I actually finished watching. I know, I'm oh, heartbroken. God. That's terrible. 
This just means Let's... you, uh, I guess we'll just have to watch The Last of Us. Oh. Mm. Or just play Nier Automata again, which is my actual plan. Yeah. <laughs> I want to actually finish it this time. <laughs> uh, one thing I, I that did make me laugh is, like, it's very clear how, like, we were saying a lot of things about how much it, it's, it stays very true to, like, the spirit of Yoko Taro. Uh, and a way that it presents that very early on is it takes every opportunity it can to look up Tubi's dress. Yeah. <laughs> just, <laughs> it just, I was laughing at that initial, like, kind of fight entrance where it's just like okay it is just as pervy as the game that's cool interesting (laughs) there's a great moment and i think it's um i think it's the second episode's puppet show where they're Mm -hmm. like we're gonna take viewer mail here's one from yoko taro why does that name sound familiar (laughs) (laughs) uh also on a on a like a you know more complimentary note i guess uh for as much as the Last of Us is like really trying to kind of wring tears out of people. There's a moment in Nier Automata that hit me so much harder than anything in The Last of Us. And it's in, I, I guess, you know, there's kind of a spoiler here for anyone who hasn't seen it yet, but in the second episode, nearing the end of the episode, there's a uh, part where there's an army of machine life forms that are kind of marching on the resistance. And the resistance is going to blow up a bridge to keep them from coming. And as that's happening, they're trampling over the garden that uh, Plato or whatever uh, planted. Uh, and there's a shot like as you know they're approaching this this resistance encampment where you see Plato in the crowd, and a there's like a missile strike that that takes out all of these robots and like saves the resistance people. And it sticks with Plato as he like falls down this this ravine or whatever and at the bottom he lands at the bottom and there's one of his flowers that he had been growing that had have has fallen there too and he just kind of like reaches out his hand to try to grab this flower as he dies and the camera just sticks with him the whole time and it like it really it really wrecked me i felt so awful at that point like it was it was it was so affecting like to see this you know, basically faceless robot who we've come to, uh, we were following through this episode just through his his sort of like desire to make something grow and to create something beautiful out of this wasteland and ends up being destroyed because he is mistaken for, or at least he's mingling with these machine life forms that the protagonist can't see as anything other than killing machines. Uh, and it just, it really, it was really pretty wrenching for me. <laughs> I, I completely agree. And it's like, to me, I think the way near handles telling its story as an anime like really is the greatest like argument against the prestige and the acclaim that the last of us is getting um Mm -hmm. because like we talked about sarah's death at the beginning of this episode and the way they just draw that out and they really just Mm -hmm. like try to hammer it home that you should be so upset about this there's an air of like disingenuous there's it feels disingenuous a lot of time like it's Mm -hmm. just trying to milk you of your tears just because you should be sad and that will make this a good show and meanwhile with the near anime like it's animated which people also look down on as an like as an artistic medium and then on on top of that plato is a machine life form so his face doesn't have like it doesn't have mobility to like express emotion, 
But like, damn, if watching him that entire episode, you don't just like feel like you can read what's going through this machine life forms like head and all these emotions in a way that honestly does rival the show like The Last of Us. It's it's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. There is a sense in like The Last of Us and kind of prestige shows like that, where the more you focus on the brutality and the more you linger with it and and like really hammer it home that that's a better thing to do like it becomes almost compulsory to to feel strongly about it where it's like how could you not be moved by that didn't you see how long they spent with this character like focusing on her pain and watching her like scream and bleed as she died like you have to feel bad about that or you're you're basically a monster whereas in something like near it's done so much more subtly like it can just show you the thing that is sad it doesn't need to keep telling you that it's sad and you should be sad about it because if it's if it's done well you know that's how you create emotion through pe- in people through story it's not by telling them what to feel it's by it's by uh making you know creating something that makes them feel that way mm-hmm. uh, and it's just it's it's such a it it's a small thing in context, but it it just really points out how much these approaches differ and how much I think one one kind of insists on on the thing it wants you to feel so much more and becomes so much less effective because of that. Yeah, I, I mean, I really think that's kind of like, that's the heart of it. Yeah. <laughs> that's why I don't really like The Last of Us and why I do love Nier. But uh, yeah. sadly, I guess I'm not going to be able to really be watching Nier for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Gosh. Well, hopefully. Yeah, that's that's weird. That's yeah, that, kind of a vague statement about COVID difficulties. Hopefully there is not. Uh, hopefully everyone is safe and this is just a precaution and, mm-hmm. you know, and all of that. That's that's a very kind of ominous message to yeah. to leave things on. Let's hope that we do see the rest of the show. Yes, mm-hmm. hopefully. Mm-hmm. But other than watching these two uh, wildly different shows this week, uh, what have you been getting up to, Bella? I've been playing a game that I've been really enjoying. Uh, hmm. I've been playing Octopath Traveler. Uh, the sequel is coming out next month, so I wanted to get some time with the first one. Um, I've played it before. I just am like playing it again. And this is a game that I just like really enjoy. It it does feel like um, an ode to especially Final Fantasy VI, the way you are um, you get to like go between all these different characters' perspectives. I think it's a really fun time. It it balances like humor and you know dark storytelling, um, in my opinion. Well, it's just fun to play like a little JRPG, and I really love the two D HD or HD two D. Um, like engine that they have Mm -hmm. um it it really just makes me want like final fantasy 6 uh in this engine but that's another thing uh but it's so good it's just been a really good time and honestly that's kind of like what i want from a video game right now yeah (laughs) Uh, so that's that's been what i've been up to uh lovely yeah what about you um yeah i have been enjoying becoming a homeowner uh, in the only way that I ever will in my life, uh, and that's in Final Fantasy XIV. Um, Yay! So, congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. So, for anyone who doesn't play Final Fantasy XIV, there's an incredibly baroque system of housing that is limited, like per server. Only a certain number of houses exist, uh, and th- for the entire existence of this game, 
the way that you got a house has been terrible. Mm-hmm. There's been a couple different systems for it. There's like a first come, first serve weird thing uh, that was more recently changed to a lottery. And then this past week, they finally opened up like 1,500 new houses or something like that on every server. So I was finally able to like bid on a house, like enter the lottery for a house that had no other bids on it and, and win one. So I've just really been enjoying like setting up my little garden outside and planning out how I'm going to like decorate my house. As I was doing this, I was thinking about a quote that you actually told me about from Yoko Taro, where he's sort of lamenting the idea that video games are so much about killing. And even in his own work, he finds it difficult to tell a story that doesn't revolve around around violence and war. Uh, and it just it just made me think of that because Final Fantasy XIV, obviously, like there's a lot of a lot of killing and a lot of violence in it. But there's also these little pockets of the game as well where you like the the whole point is just like making this making a place that you feel good to be in and like growing crops and and decorating and painting things uh and just making a nice little like cozy corner of the world for yourself uh and so yeah i was doing that yesterday and like it's one of the best times i've had with the game in a while uh it's just sort of just decorating and and enjoying this little plot of land that i that i now have on the internet (laughs) So yeah, that's been that's just been really enjoyable, and that's that's pretty much my recreation at the moment. Yeah, I'm I'm so happy for you solely because I'm just never gonna leave your house in Final Fantasy fourteen. I'm just gonna squat. It's gonna be great. Yeah, I spent all day like decorating the outside, so the inside is still completely empty. <laughs> but once I get stuff set up, you'll have to come over for a housewarming party. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, but uh, thanks for joining us for another episode. Uh, you can listen to Girl Mode anywhere you listen to podcasts, and you can find us on socials on Twitter at girlmode underscore pod and on co-host at girlmode dash pod. I'm on Twitter and co-host at the Willow Row. And I'm on Twitter and co-host at Robin Bombas. Uh, see you later. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.